0: women are way better at this than men are, why? Because they talk about these things with each other, right? It's easy for them to just communicate these issues emotionally. Guys just innately aren't good at it. And as we go into this world of becoming more disconnected because we don't necessarily need social interactions, we could basically feel fully engaged by just looking at our cell phones all day. That pulls us apart further.
1: What would you do all over again and why? I'm Natalie Carpenter, women's health and fertility advocate Dot connector and former corporate brand warrior. Each week, join me in candid conversation with an inspiring public figure who boldly shares their real life stories of adversity, impact, and what they did next, and if they would do it all over again, knowing what they know now. Welcome to the All Over Again podcast. Dr. Justin Hooman is a urologist and UCLA fellowship-trained male reproductive medicine and surgery specialist. His practice is focused on men's health, sexual dysfunction, and male fertility, and is centered on bridging the gap between men's sexual and mental health. As a first-generation American, Dr. Justin Hooman shares that if he had to do it all over again, despite the positively impeccable work ethic which was instilled in him from a young age, he would have taken a bit more time to himself before jumping into his medical profession. This is part of the reason why Dr. Hooman is committed to changing the landscape of men's health by focusing on its connection to mental wellness. Good morning, Justin. Welcome to All Over Again podcast.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
1: It's great to see you. And I'm looking forward to you diving in and getting into all of the things. So I know it's early where you are. So thanks for bearing with me. And we don't need to talk about what you had for breakfast. But I would like to talk about what's lighting you up right now.
0: So I'm based in Los Angeles. We've actually had a very long winter and literally yesterday, it was the first day where we had some sun and then over the course of the next week, it's going to be, it's going to be basically California weather. So it's finally nice to get some sunshine, get some light and then, which ultimately energizes me and gets me going. So it's been nice.
1: That's great. Yeah. Good weather is definitely something that impacts the soul. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got into the work that you're doing now.
0: So I'm a physician. I'm a urologist by trade. I specialize in men's health. I did some training after additional training after my residency in men's health. And men's health is a relatively broad field. It's specifically men's uh, sexual health, their reproductive health, and their hormonal health. All of these things that are involved in not just optimizing men's quality of life, but also you know improving the important aspects when it comes to fertility and, and sexual health. So the way I got into this was. When I was in residency, there was two things I noticed. Number one, no one really talks about men's health. Guys usually see their doctors in their fifties. At that point, some of these issues that have been percolating, whether it's high blood pressure, high blood, diabetes, high cholesterol levels, all these things have been have been percolating. And by the time they get it addressed in their fifties and sixties, it's a much bigger problem to deal with. And I realized fertility and sexual health was one of the earliest reasons why guys see their doctors. So I thought that was a very unique opportunity to get involved in men's health. And secondly, the other thing that, that I was seeing is, at least here in Los Angeles and any other major city, there's a lot of these pop-up uh, testosterone clinics that were providing men with testosterone boosts, giving, giving them like a, a quick fix kind of thing, making them feel good, but they were doing it very poorly. And I thought that was a big issue because... They're doing things in a way that it was short-term fixes, but sacrifice things long-term. So I thought there was a way we could fix that. So essentially, I set up a men's health clinic here in Los Angeles, here in Beverly Hills, basically to address those two things and to follow those, those two things that I wanted to address when I was in residency.
1: So instead of opting for the Band-Aid tactic, you are actually assisting men with the symptoms and the challenges underlying so that they can be more sexually active in an enjoyable way I'm guessing and perhaps also realize the fertility that they're looking for.
0: Yeah, so I mean we have a lot of ways like for example when it comes to let's say erectile dysfunction there's a lot of ways you could fix erectile dysfunction easy ways and we see that out there every day. We see it now, like romans and Hymns, these various companies that will mail you viagra and cialis. But No one's really fixing the core issue of it, right? No one's fixing the, the, or no one's even trying to find out what's causing erectile dysfunction. If a 25-year-old guy comes to me with erectile dysfunction, he shouldn't be having erectile dysfunction. You got to figure out what's causing it and then appropriately treat it. Giving them Viagra and Cialis, yeah, it's going to help them short-term, but it's not a good long-term fix. With testosterone, similarly, young guys shouldn't have low testosterone issues, right? When it comes to low testosterone, a lot of it's diet, sleep, and poor exercise, So you gotta get them, you know. You gotta fix their sleeping habits. Let you know, basically guide them in the right direction in terms of their diet. Focus on improving their exercise routine, their exercise regimen, and this will not again boost up their testosterone levels to a point where they're able to maintain it long term by themselves.
1: And that will also assist with ED.
0: With testosterone? Yes. Yeah, all of these are related. So testosterone is just super important for everything, for the way we feel, our mood our mental health, our energy levels, our sexual health, our sexual function, libido, ED, all of that.
1: Why do you think you're seeing a decrease in fertility for men?
0: I would say it's a couple of things. Number one, guys are having families later in life, right? Men and women. I think a lot of that, you could go on into this and talk about it economically. By the time people are financially able to make or financially stable enough to build a family, it's a little bit later now than it was in our parents' generation, let's say. So people are delaying marriage and people are delaying family uh, development of the family unit, number one. Number two, our, our lifestyles are held hell a lot more sedentary. So we're not moving around as much. We're not getting as much sunlight. We're not getting as much vitamin D. All of these things are important to hormonal health. So when hormonal health is compromised, so decreased testosterone levels, this could impact our fertility as well. So those two are the big ones. I mean, and then with the sedentary lifestyle, obviously diet's not the same. We're eating much more processed foods. And all of these things just negatively impact our overall health and, and our reproductive health. So, I mean, we're not, by no means is it horrible, like guys aren't, you know, not producing sperm, but I think more guys are just generally struggling with with fertility as a result of these two things.
1: So, first of all, you mentioned this was a big thing about a year ago. I think this is a big thing all of the time because I don't think that people realize or the general population realizes that and you can correct me if the statistic has changed, but that 40 to 50% of infertility cases are actually male-related. Is that still the statistic?
0: Yeah, I'd say 50%. 50% of the time it's the male, 50% of the time it's the, it's the female partner.
1: Right, and sometimes it's both, right? So we live in a world where one out of six people are now facing infertility according to the WHO, the World Health Organization. So I, I think that that's really sort of mind-boggling. But yes, I you know because I think being in this space, we think this is old news, but this is really a lot of new news for a lot of people. What kind of advancements are you seeing that are supporting men both physically and mentally with fertility-related issues?
0: So physically, I mean, we have a lot of good technologies when it comes to this. Obviously, IVF and ICSI, these advanced reproductive techniques, are able to to bridge that gap between or bridge that gap when either the male or the female partner is having fertility issues. We're able to do that now. It's not perfect, but it's better. And we're getting better at it, right? As a medical community, we're getting better and better at it. Now, mentally, and this is the thing that's becoming much more, I think there's a lot more effort, not just from a public health standpoint, social media, all these different things, but like anything else, guys are talking about these things more and more. And as a result of that, you're hearing more about these struggles. And I could tell you, when people when people are struggling with infertility, obviously, it's the, the emotional burden for them. It's, you know, between them and their partner, it sucks and it's, it's very rough. But the other thing that they think about is I'm probably the only one of, of all my friends who has this, right? And that's the thing. They're really not. There's tons more of, of couples who are experiencing infertility issues. And I think that's the nice thing about what's happening now as more and more people are talking about it that you're not alone, you're not the only one, it's more common than you think. And as a result of that, I think that that burden of, of, of thinking that this is so rare, woe is me, it's becoming uh, less and less of an issue.
1: Are there any resources that you've heard of or communities for men?
0: Not really. I mean, there's websites out there, I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head which ones, but a lot of this, when it comes to the fertility stuff, a lot of it's driven on the, on the female side.
1: Right, that I'm aware of, Yeah.
0: Yeah, so guys Guys are funny Guys, A lot of them come in And they're like I don't know why I'm here I'm like, what do you mean You don't know why you're here <laughs> yeah, you know, my, I have this team analysis My wife says I need to see you Guys don't really They're not as uh, involved initially So in terms of resources I, I, Off the top of my head I can't tell you any
1: Okay And when somebody comes in And says I don't know why I'm here What's your general feedback?
0: You basically have to go back To square one So like how long have you guys been trying? What does your wife say about the reason why you're here? Basically, eventually you find out exactly why they're here. But they come in there. I think as much as I say, they, don't, they say, I don't know why I'm here. They don't want to be there, right? They don't want to be there. It's like one of those things they want to turn a blind eye to because there's something about the mentality of a guy that he wants to know he's fertile. He wants to know that he's able to engage, you know, have sexually healthy, reproductively healthy. These are things that guys... Deep down inside, I think most guys will relate to and most guys want that. And when you tell them, hey, you're having some issues here and there, it's one of those things you kind of want to turn a blind eye to and not talk about it.
1: Would you say that most men define themselves by that? I mean, by work, for sure, but also by their sort of fertility, sexual prowess, kind of? I mean, I'm just putting it out there.
0: No, more so the sexual prowess. it's not so much the fertility. I don't think any guy's really proud. A very few guys will probably be super proud about being like very fertile. Nick Cannon's probably one of those guys. But the sexual prowess in this is, is, is probably something that guys relate to more. Like If guys are struggling to with erectile dysfunction, I mean, it can really put them down, put them down like this, uh, this vicious cycle where it starts to get into their head and it becomes a lot more difficult to correct once it gets into their head, once they get that psychological, the psychogenic aspect
1: involved. Do you do any partnerships or do you refer out to therapists or psychologists that specialize in that space?
0: Definitely, definitely. So, as I mentioned, there's a lot of, I see a lot of young guys with erectile dysfunction, for example, right? Guys in there as early as 21, 20, but a lot of guys under 25 years old where they shouldn't be having these issues. They shouldn't be having these issues. And a lot of it has to do with, I mean, for them, as much as I was talking about sedentary lifestyle, porn, pornography is really, impacting these young guys as well, watching it, their perception of what reality is, is, is off because of it. So to answer your question, I'll make sure that, you know, from a hormonal standpoint, things are good. I'll make sure from a blood flow standpoint, things are okay. From a neurological standpoint, in terms of the nerve conduction, all of those things are working fine. And once I rule those out to say, these are all looking, working great, then I'll refer them to a sex therapist to kind of, you know, basically focus on the mental aspect. Because for a lot of these guys, One bad erection leads to two, it leads to 20. It becomes this big thing where every time they're trying to have an erection, it becomes this mental block. It becomes a source of anxiety, frustration, stress, and they can't get out of it. They can't. So referring them to local sex therapists here, at least there's a lot of them here in Los Angeles, they could really help reduce a lot of that anxiety and frustration associated with sex and erections.
1: So... Two questions. I'll start with the easy one first. Do you have any recommendations of sex therapists that you're like, wow, this is a really great person to go to? Because my guess is if guys are so proud, you're not going to get a phone call that says, hey, who should I talk to? There's
0: a clinic here that specializes in sex therapy. It's called the Center for Healthy Sex. They're wonderful. There's a number of therapists there who all, that's all they do. Sex therapy for men and women. That's the main group, to be honest with you, in terms of who I refer to because they have so many therapists Male and female therapists as well, depending on what you want or you know who you want to speak with. So that's the main group. Yeah.
1: Okay, and now I want to go back to the discussion about, and I've heard a little bit about this, but obviously you're an expert in this space. So tell me a little bit about how porn is sort of messing with men's heads.
0: So when it comes to porn, the main thing is it just alters their perception of of reality. So. When you're seeing these exaggerated uh, images, I- exaggerated features, scenes, acts, what have you.
1: In women, um, let's be honest, things, right? In,
0: in women, right, right. Or in, in any any type of pornography, everything's very much exaggerated, right? Everything. I mean, this is, it's not reality. And then when you compare that to reality, inevitably you're going to be disappointed, right? Because you're not going to find that in real life or very rarely you'll find that in real life. So there's this disconnect where you're used to this, the mental, your mental, um, stimuli you're used to being stimulated at this extent but in reality the maximum you can be stimulated is this and as a result of that you know number one your erections probably won't be as strong your desire your sensation the happy, or the joy that you get out of intercourse or the whole process is not going to be as great because of that because you have that mismatch in terms of what's triggering you what's stimulating you what's getting you going it's only getting worse too it's only getting worse
1: just because things are becoming even more sensationalized
0: Exactly. And I think there's, there's not only that in terms of, sense of but virtual reality, all these different things, it's making it much more realistic. And as a result of that, it's disconnecting to get that much more from reality.
1: That is interesting. So what do you foresee with the advent of AI insofar as this porn challenge is concerned?
0: At the end of the day, there's nothing you could do to, to curb that or to slow that down. But one thing, there's a sex therapist who had given given this advice to a patient, and then now this is exactly what I tell patients too. I think it's great advice. It's for every two times that you watch pornography in order to masturbate, one time you should just do it mentally, right? You want to maintain that that mental creative, whatever it is to, to pull you back down. Basically, you want to use your own creativity in order to to, to have some fun as well. So. And three times, the first, two of the times, it's fine to watch pornography. But one of them, you should actually try to masturbate without any porn.
1: So where do you see the future of men's health and, in particular, sexual dysfunction going?
0: Men's health is a growing field, right? It's growing very fast. I think a lot of hospitals, universities are all seeing the, the need for men's health because essentially a big part in the medical community, a big difficulty in the medical community has been engaging men. For healthcare, all types of healthcare, mental healthcare, physical, emotional, all that stuff. Young, you know, men just, it's very tough to engage men in the healthcare setting. Two things are happening now is we're figuring out that younger guys are, are more in, in, in tune with their health. They're more willing to talk about these things. So they're more willing to see doctors and to address their problems earlier on. Number one. And number two, we're realizing that men's health clinics ones that specialize not just in sexual health and reproductive health like what I do, but men's health clinics specifically targeted at men and and engaging men are becoming much more common and they're working. So I think what's happening is we're really bridging this gap on both ends. And as a result of that, it's becoming a field or men's health is becoming or engaging men at a younger age is becoming easier. Now, there's still a lot of work to be done, but at least the momentum is carrying in that direction. And ultimately, I think what's going to happen is I don't think it's ever going to be like women's health in terms of, I mean, women are much better at these things, but ultimately we're trying to get get similar or increase access the same way that women are able to engage in the healthcare setting as well.
1: So in terms of engagement and even advocacy, self-advocacy, is that where you're going?
0: Yeah. I mean, the self-advocacy part is going to be hard, but at least the engagement part, the engagement part could be we're heading in the right direction in that sense, for sure.
1: Are you working on any research right now or any projects that you're really excited about in the realm of men's health?
0: You know, the fertility stuff is what really excites me. Helping a couple have a family, that's obviously very exciting because it's very exciting for them and it's very satisfying for my end. One of the toughest parts of, of dealing with infertility in men is guys will come to you and they have no sperm, right? Essentially no sperm at all. Sometimes that's genetic. Most of the time it's genetic because they've been dealt that hand. And unfortunately, there's only so much you can do. So we're doing, a, we have a clinical trial going on right now where we're trying to, with different hormonal factors, what we're trying to do is really stimulate the testicles to try to even produce a little bit of sperm, right? A few sperm here and there would give us just enough to proceed with IVF with the female partner. But I mean, the study's still very early on, but the reproductive health stuff, the fertility stuff, getting guys, even nudging them forward a little bit, giving them some sense of hope, That's the stuff that really gets me excited, at least from uh, what I'm doing right now, for sure.
1: That's absolutely exciting. So you're giving them a shot to be able to provide their sperm as opposed to having to go straight to a donor.
0: Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. A lot of these guys, eventually, they're going to need donors, but we're doing what we can to give them a shot.
1: Okay. And for listeners, are you actively taking participants into the study or are you closed?
0: No, no, we we are. We actually just started the the study relatively recently, so we definitely are.
1: All right. So anyone listening?
0: Yeah, reach out. Reach out. You may be a good candidate for it.
1: There you go. Perfect. So anyone that's interested, please hit up Dr. Human or his office. We will leave how you can get in touch with him in the show notes. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about you. Yes, you're doing this amazing work. You're Excited by where the field is going and you saw, it's almost like you are, you know, business minded because, maybe you are, it's like you're business minded because you clearly saw an opportunity during your residency that wasn't, isn't really being addressed. And uh, that seems very niche. So how did you decide that I want to be a doctor in the first place? Was there an experience that that brought you to that point? Have you had a moment of adversity that you thought, okay, I, what is it? What brought you to the place that you are today?
0: So my father's actually a urologist as well. He doesn't practice anymore, but he was a general urologist. Basically he had his own practice for 20, 25 years. And back then urology, basically if you're a urologist, you do it all from the infertility stuff to the crazy cancer cases. Now urology has become much more sub-specialized. So I have my niche within the field, but, you know, I think growing up, I'd say my father was probably the biggest influence on me in terms of becoming a doctor, wanting to become a doctor. I didn't think I wanted to be a urologist at all. I thought I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon when I went to medical school. During that time, we had, a, we had some elective time. And I said, all right, well, let's see what, this, what urology is all about. Because my father would tell me about it, but I didn't know too much about it day to day, like seeing what it's like in the operating room, seeing what it's like in the clinic. Anyways, I did the rotation. And for me, it perfectly fits my personality. Life and death stuff, I don't deal with that. That's just not my, per, per, my personality. And what I do with fertility is the exact opposite, right? With sexual health, the exact opposite of, of life and death, but it's all quality of life. And it, gets, it lets me engage with guys who are similar to my own age group, right? So it's, I, most of my patients are younger, healthier. And I think I've been quite fortunate because the more I remember, like as I was advancing through residency and to fellowship, I realized, i mean, man, thank God I chose this field because it really like resonated with me more and more. As I progressed, and I'll say I really mean it. Like I feel like I got lucky in that sense because I didn't know some of the things about urology. I don't think anyone really knows fully what they're getting themselves into. But as I said, the more the more I did it, the more I realized it really fits my personality. Doctors, no one really takes themselves too seriously because, of, as you could imagine, that's the part of the body that we work with. Our lifestyle is relatively good. We have great surgeries. We have fun surgeries. But yeah, ultimately, I think my father was the big first big influence. He's the one that kind of started the cascade for me, and then I took it from there.
1: Do you share that with him?
0: That he, that he was the influence yeah. on Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He knows. He knows. Of course he knows.
1: That's great. Because not everybody actually knows. So you grew up in Orange County?
0: That's right, yeah.
1: Okay. I think we may have been neighbors at one point. I grew up in Laguna Beach. I don't know if we've ever talked about this.
0: I don't think we did. I grew up in Anna, Anaheim Hills.
1: Okay, okay. So not very far. I'm sure if we played the name game, I'm sure I have some sorority sister that you know. Are you first generation? Are your parents first generation American?
0: I was born here and my parents immigrated here. My father did medical school here. Um, he did his whole urology training in New York and then he moved out to California. Yeah, my mother uh, was living in Maryland and then, Los A- and then she came to Los Angeles where they met.
1: Okay, so you're first generation American. How did that shape your upbringing at all or did it?
0: Oh, for sure. So we're Persian, right? So we came here, my parents came here after the revolution. They had to leave the country. And all they really had was education. So my mother's a CPA, my father's my father a physician. So all they really had was to the know-how to get an education. So both of them, they finished their graduate schools here in the States, and all they did was worked hard, right? They knew that basically educate yourself as much as you can, work hard, and they basically passed those values down to my, my, myself and my siblings. So both my siblings are attorneys, they're lawyers. I'm a doctor. So as you can imagine, um, education was quite important growing up. That whole first generation thing, that's exactly what it was because they knew that all they really had in their back pocket was their work ethic and their education. That's exactly what they told us. Like, make sure, because no one can really take that away from you. As long as you have that, wherever you end up, you'll stand on solid ground if you have those two things. So that's the biggest impact.
1: Your parents went through a lot of ad- adversity, right? I mean, they grew up during a revolution, right? And they fled a revolution. I and mean, that is. A lot for any person, let alone young people. Was there anything that they instilled in you as a result? Because you actually got to grow up in the United States. They protected you from what happened in their homeland, but they helped, you know, make sure that your family had the best opportunities possible, right? So how did that, how did that impact you? Or did you take it for granted? I know I did. I'm just asking you the question because I'm a first-generation American, too. I didn't really understand it until later.
0: I'd agree with you in the sense that I probably appreciate it a lot more now than I did when I was younger, for sure. But also, I mean, I think they, they purposely or they intentionally, they weren't so vocal. or They weren't played the victim role, or they never victimized themselves about it. But yeah, they were much more about looking forward. And basically what I, what I said earlier in terms of things that you need, things that will always help you are basically working hard, studying those things. But yeah, I agree with you. I think I I appreciate it a lot more now than I did back then. They're probably a little bit more vocal about it now than they were back then as well.
1: I can imagine. I know my parents are too, right? I think that it's a little bit safer in terms of using your voice, perhaps.
0: Yeah. But it's also good to know because you connect with that that past too. There's a time and a place where you could share some of these
1: things. A thousand percent. Is there anything that... Is lighting you up right now outside of the weather from a personal, professional level that you're you know, working on, that you're doing?
0: So for me, the obviously, I'm having a men's health clinic here, so it's very exciting, continuing to grow the business. As you mentioned, guys get very excited when it comes to, you know, guys, when it comes to defining themselves, guys, you know, with the, with the work stuff obviously gets me very, very excited. That's a big part of, of what's getting me excited now. Otherwise, with summer travels, that's going to be very exciting. But yeah, very generic, I know.
1: Is there something about the men's health space that you're, you're looking forward to? I mean, I know you're doing this really great study at the moment, but are you looking forward to anything in the, the day when XYZ happens in the men's health space?
0: One of the big things that's lacking is, and this is not so much of my realm, but it's something that I see is like men's mental health. And as much as I was saying, like we're bridging the gap, I think when it comes to men's mental health, we're kind of going the opposite direction, right? Things are getting worse. If we could basically nudge this and move, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is, in terms of men's mental health, is there's a lot of issues in terms of guys feeling alone, estranged, depressed, and anxious, and they don't have the resources to talk about it. Guys are going on Instagram and TikTok and finding these short 15 second blurbs to get answers in terms of how to address a lot of their issues. I think by ultimately, if there's ways in which we could, um, and it, you know, I'm part of a startup company that's helping address this, actually, it's called Manual Care. But by bridging the gap between that, or at least using giving better resources for young guys to address these mental health issues, that to me will be a huge win in terms of men's health, the whole overall arching men's health, because we're seeing these young guys, look at some of these extreme things that we're seeing with gun shootings, suicides, all these various things. I think a lot of it has to do because young guys are just being lost they have no connection to anything as a result of it. You're going to do extreme things. So that to me would be a great uh, win for men's health if we're able to bridge that gap.
1: Do you think that it stems from education? Do you think that mental health support stems from educating men on how to talk about things in the first place?
0: 200%. Yeah. Because I mean, if you think about it, women are way better at this than men are. Why? Because they talk about these things with each other, right? It's easy for them to just communicate these issues emotionally, connect with another person on an emotional level. Guys, guys just innately aren't good at it. And as we become, as we go into this world of becoming more disconnected because we don't necessarily need social interactions to feel engaged, and we, we could basically feel fully engaged by just looking at our cell phones all day. That, that even pulls us apart further. So educating, providing resources, I think there's an, you basically have to, there's so many ways you have to attack this in order to to engage guys from a mental health standpoint. But yeah, education is just one part of that.
1: So how do you think that people can do a better job of of doing that? I mean, I I know that that's perhaps a question for a mental health professional, but I'm just curious to know from a, a male's perspective and someone who sees men struggling all of the time, right, in your space, how do you think that we can educate boys from an earlier age?
0: I think the best thing we could do or the first thing we could do is like if you're having any type of feeling, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about your feelings or this idea that guys should be macho men and bury their feelings is not necessarily right. It's okay to talk about your feelings. It's okay to, to, to open up and to talk about your feelings with whoever it is. I think that's the first thing. And the next thing I would say, the other important issue is and it's, it's kind of already happening. It's reducing the stigma associated with that, or the, basically eliminating that taboo associated with guys talking about how they feel. There's a lot of these things on YouTube and Twitter, TikTok, various things that are basically like, guys, you know, basically just put your head down and keep running, which, look, I'll be the first person to tell you I'm the same way, right? That's that's kind of my, my mentality. But it's not necessarily the right way because, from an emotional intelligence standpoint, from an emotional health standpoint, it kind of delays you, it stunts your growth. So, really, just. That macho mentality, eliminating that macho mentality and, and that we've had in previous generations, I think that'd be a good first step.
1: Definitely. You know, when you're speaking, you know, what comes to mind is of macho is literally the term sack up. I mean, think about the terms that that have been shared over the years. It's literally like just deal with it, sack up. All right. Like, I mean, I when I was younger, I had no I, I wasn't really thinking about like what that actually meant, but Think about that. That is very specifically male, although you share it with women, too, but it's very like, be a guy. Don't have any emotion. Be a man, right? So it's, it's interesting. A lot to deconstruct yeah. there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: we've got to, we've talked to a mental health professional to help us dig deeper. Is there anything that you would do all over again, knowing what you know now?:
0: Yeah. It's funny because I knew you were going to ask this question. So I was thinking about this last night. I would say this. I would say that I love what I do. I really do. I, I, enjoy, I truly enjoy being a doctor. And like I said earlier, I, was, I feel like I was very lucky in many ways. But I would i would have delayed the process. I think I would have done a lot more before starting the process. And at that point, basically, I would say like after, college, after high school or college, I would have taken some time off, do different things, try different things. And if I decided to be a doctor after that, sure, I would have done it. But I would have traveled. I would have lived in different places Um, like anything else. Right. If I knew when I was 25, if I knew what I know now, I think I'd realize that the world is a big place. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of things to try. There's a lot of things to explore. So, yeah, that's what I would have done. That's how I would have changed things. But, you know, look, I came from an immigrant. I I have an immigrant mentality in many ways. My my parents imparted that on me and it, it made me who I am today. I don't regret it one bit, but if I had to do it all over again, that's that's one place I would start.
1: So no regrets that you worked as hard as you did, but now you see that you didn't have to chase the cheese as early as you did?
0: Of course, there's regrets in life. I mean, I think anybody who tells you there's no no regrets is, of course, I have regrets in life, but I feel very fortunate to be where I am, to, for my career to have led me to this place and the way it led me to this place. I feel incredibly fortunate. My path towards becoming a doctor has been great and very enjoyable in many ways. Obviously, a struggle, but... I would have taken some time off and figured out what to do. And, you know, we'll see what else is out there. See what else is out there. Because I think I, I, there's other things that I could be very good at in life. And I, I wish I could have explored some of those things.
1: It's not too late.
0: It's true. It's true. Let me figure out this mental health thing first.
1: Yeah. See, that just gets to be a part of your next chapter, whatever it is. And maybe it's in addition to the current chapter when, when it's time. When it's time. When it's, when it's when time. It's time. Thank you, Dr. Hooman, for taking the time to talk about what you would do all over again and also about your passion for men's health.
0: Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. This was great. I had fun.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Over Again podcast. I hope that you learned something from today's episode. If you enjoyed this, please leave a five-star review about All Over Again on Apple Podcasts. Please also let me know what spoke to you about the episode on our social media channels at all over again podcast. I can't wait to hear from you.